All right, so we have a guest pastor today. Um, his name is Pastor David. And so Pastor David serves as the lead pastor of Promise Church that's located in Garden Grove, California. He's happily married to Esther and is a father to Jake, Everly, and Sienna. So prior to Promise Church, he's been involved in uh, sharing the gospel to kids in juvie centers, uh, detention centers through L.A., um, the prohibition, um, prohibition Department. He has deep love for the gospel and for missions. And besides shepherding and serving the church, he enjoys spending time with his family, playing basketball, and rooting for the Lakers. He's attended UC uh, San Diego and has a Master of Divinity from Talbot. And he's ordained under the ECA, which is the Evangelical Church Alliance. And it's actually crazy because Pastor David was my, uh, was my guest pastor when I was in sixth grade in elementary. Just like for a retreat at a church that no longer exists. And then all of a sudden, he just comes back like 12 years later. That's insane. All right, let's give it up for Pastor David. Check, check. Thank you, Kevin, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it is a joy and pleasure to be here. I am definitely not uh, a stranger here. I've been here multiple times, and it just so happens that your pastor, Pastor Tony, is at my church preaching. And uh, man, can we give it up for our CM one more time, our children's ministry? It's been a... Uh... Children are definitely not innocent, but they're adorable, right? I've, I've got three, uh, 10, 7, and 2. Innocence is not the first thing that comes to my mind, but adorable, cute, for sure, right? And uh, I think oftentimes whenever they say something or do something, uh, one thing for sure is that they have the right motive, the good intention. And actually, the, the word of today that, that I want to share with you guys is, and you're going to hear me say this oftentimes, is right motive, good intentions without clear communications can lead to altercations, so you're going to hear me say this constantly. So again, good intention without clear communication can, can and most likely lead to altercations. So if you have your uh, physical Bibles, can I hear you say a word? And turn to Joshua chapter 22. Uh, it's a lengthy passage, and Joshua is a historical narrative, which means it reads like a story. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of the context of Joshua 22 here before we read it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, stop, read, stop, highlight a few words. So if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can take it, uh, leave it open. If you're taking notes, uh, mental notes, whatever it is, uh, hopefully you can focus on some of these words. But uh, um, before we go into this, as I was talking about the right motive, good intentions without clear communication can and potentially lead to uh, altercation. Uh, if you're married, raise your hand. Okay, you for sure have experienced this, okay? <laughs> You've, you probably have countless stories where maybe your spouse or your partner uh, has the right intent, right? Like you, you want to clean the house, you have the right intent so that when your partner comes back home, they, they feel like, oh, it's nice and, and, and clean. But maybe it wasn't clearly communicated that while you were cleaning, you threw away some things away that it was really important for your spouse, and you guys don't talk about it. You guys become passive aggressive and then eventually leads to an altercation, straight out fight. I, I could tell you so many stories of my, uh, my, me and Esther's relationship where there was many instances like that. Uh, but one thing that I do want to highlight, my, my first daughter, Everly, seven years old, one time she, got, she was so excited. She comes to me and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, you don't have to buy me any more presents. And I thought to myself, why? And she said, there's this app you can download where you could put what you want, and it gets delivered to your house. 
And I was like, girl, you mean Amazon? And she was like, yeah. She was so excited, right? Good intention, right motive. I had to explain to this poor girl what e-commerce is and uh, explain to her that I'm actually still buying it. And then she was so disappointed to know that I'm still buying it. But anyways, good intentions. But sometimes if you don't clearly communicate your intent, your right motive, it again leads to altercations. Here in Joshua 22, we're at a point post-Exodus where Joshua, this new charismatic leader, is taking this ragtag group of Israelites crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Now Moses passed away. And now Joshua's the new leader. And Joshua, as he's conquering the new promised land, Jericho, Ai, and so many different lands, Joshua reads very exciting for the first eight chapters. But after the eighth chapter, it gets kind of dull. It's a lot of allotment of lands because God had promised certain land to this group of Israelites. But in chapter 22, we come to a place where there is an altercation. And the altercation is caused because there's a miscommunication. But we'll see that there was a good motive and intent. So follow along with me as I read chapter 22, verse 1. Again, I'm going to read a few verses and pause and stop there. Then Joshua, he summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest, as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan." But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now let me pause there for a second. And again, if you have your physical Bibles, keep it open there. Joshua here is telling the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, because back in Numbers, before they entered this land, the two and a half tribes actually made a side deal with Moses. And the side deal was, Moses, we're going to go and send men to fight and conquer this land. But when we are done, please give us this portion of land that is called Gilead. And technically, Gilead was not part of the promised land. But this was a deal made in numbers between the two and a half tribes and Moses prior to Joshua. And so it took about seven years to conquer a good portion of the promised land. And so these men who were devoted to go with this ragtag group of Israelites to conquer the land, they sacrificed about seven years, which is a huge sacrifice, right? Not just for those who volunteered to go and fight for the Israelites, but also for the families that they left behind. The children, their own children. That's a huge sacrifice, right? And so they go seven years, they're fighting they go through miraculous things, as in Jericho. You guys probably know the story. And then they're at a point now with this new leader, with Joshua, where Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh is reminding Joshua, Hey, Joshua, 
prior to you, Moses made a deal with us. So now that we're done, our military obligation is done. Let us go back to Gilead where Moses had promised that land. And so Joshua said, good, your military obligation is done. But here's an exhortation. Here's a spiritual command that is going to ring in your ears for a long period of time. And what we hear is Joshua saying, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant the Lord God, gave you. And what is it? To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience. Everybody say obedience. In fact, highlight it. Tell it to your wife, your husband, your partner, your friend. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say obedience. Keyword number one here. Why is obedience key? Obedience is that part after you believe in Jesus Christ that is really challenging and oftentimes very taxing if we don't understand the formula of why we're doing this thing called obedience. There's a big difference between obedience and compliance. If you recall the story of Jonah... When God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the word of repentance, what did Jonah do? He went the opposite direction. He goes so much to the point where he goes under the ocean. He gets eaten by a fish. And then finally, at the very bottom of his life, he goes, fine, God, I'm going to do it. And he goes to the Ninevites. And we know how that story ends, right? God changes the hearts of the Ninevites, and then all of a sudden, Jonah's like, oh, I knew you were such a good God, and he complains. That's compliance. It's not obedience. Obedience is Jacob, when he was working for his father-in-law, Laban, and he was in love with who? Rachel. He worked seven years, but then who, ends, who does he end up getting? He ends up getting Leah, his sister, but then he works another seven years, and Scripture tells us that all those 14 years seem like a day to Jacob because he wasn't complying. He was obedient because he knew that in the pursuit of his love, Rachel, he would do it anytime, no matter what. Sacrifice, sure, no problem. I fear oftentimes Christians are just complying because we just grew up in church or you heard you have to be good. You read the Bible, but you're not in awe and you're not in love with God. And so you just kind of comply. That's a huge difference between compliance and obedience. Joshua reminds Reubenites, Gedites, half-tribe of Manasseh, when you go back, don't forget this. Don't forget the law of God. Don't forget to obey it. A very seasoned uh, Southern Baptist pastor said it this way. He said, by the name of Adrian Rogers, if you've never heard him, listen to his sermons. He's like from the 80s, I believe. Adrian Rogers once said, Bible study gives you knowledge about God. Obedience gives you knowledge of God. Now let that sink in, sink in for a little bit. Bible study is great. I'm not against it. And as you read the word of God, something has to happen. You have to respond to it. You actually have to obey. You actually have to do. Now, obedience doesn't produce faith, right? But it definitely proves it. 
It doesn't produce it because if it were to produce faith, it would be salvation by works. And as believers and as gospel-centered folks, we don't believe in that. We believe that as all you need to do is to know Jesus Christ, to know that he died for you, that he died and resurrected. But as you believe in that, there is a command. There's an exhortation to obey him. Now, we haven't gotten to the, to the miscommunication yet, but I felt like this is so important because oftentimes, again and again, this is where we lack in many ways, obedience. And so I want to share with you guys just one simple way to combat the inclination we have to want to comply instead of obey. Whenever you just want to comply, whenever you hear the pastor, whenever you read the word, I suggest you take a step back and really understand who this God is that you worship. Who this God is that these children just said, he is the light, light, light of the world. What happens as these kids proclaim this truth and have truly the intent and right motivation as they get older, they face life and different things in life, right? Things don't go their way and they end up being uh, like you, right? You, you, you get older, you get discouraged, you somehow in this journey called life lose sight of the awe and wonder of who God is. And so don't just comply, obey. And a way to combat compliance is hopefully to step back and to really acknowledge who this God is that we worship. We don't just sing the songs because they sound good, but we truly want to pray over these words. Do I hear an amen? Now let's continue here in verse 6. Then Joshua, after giving this exhortation, blessed them, and he sent them away, and they were to their homes. Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in Bashan, and to the other half-tribe, Joshua gave land on the west side of the Jordan, along with their fellow Israelites. Now when Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, return to your homes with your great wealth. Now if you recall, they gained a lot of wealth while overcoming Ai and overcoming Jericho and all these other lands. Now with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and great quantity of clothing, and divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. Now, when you go back, divide it amongst your families. They've been missing you for seven years. They hopefully can, uh, in, they, they can be encouraged from some of the things that you guys have gained. And in verse 9, he says, So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh. Everybody say Shiloh. This is going to be key word number two, very important. Shiloh and Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. Let me read another portion, verse 10. When they came to Gilead near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gelaloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Here's the plot twist. Remember, Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they fought together with the Israelites to conquer all these different lands. So they were one team. Now that they're going back to Gilead, Gilead, now they're going to build this altar of imposing size. Now before we get into why they're doing this, I want to share with you guys, they probably should have not done that. The reason why is because God forbade through the law of Moses to build an altar except the one in the tabernacle. So first thing first, they did something that God didn't command them to do. 
But their intent was good. We'll read about that pretty soon. Reubenites, Gedites, half-tribe of Manasseh, before they go back to their home country, back to their spouses, back to their children, they want to build an altar. But by building this altar, they were going against what God had told them not to do. And so here is where the miscommunication arises. The other tribes all of a sudden are, they heard about the two and a half tribes building this altar and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Who do you think you is? Who are you? Why are you doing this? And, in, and actually, they're going to send this priest by the name of Phinehas. Now, Phinehas is notorious. Phinehas in Numbers is a guy that in Peor, in a city called Peor, he grabbed a javelin because the men of Israel were committing sexual immorality with Moabite women in the temple. And this priest called Phinehas was so angered by this, he grabs a javelin and he kills both the Moabite women and the Israelite men, ending the plague that was supposed to continue. That's in Numbers. This is Phinehas. This is this priest. The Israelites are going to send this guy, Phinehas, to confront the two and a half tribe that just built an altar. What kind of message is that sending? That's not a friendly message. That's we're sending our Navy SEAL to go and kill you. That's what we're doing. We're not here to try to understand why you built this altar. You did something, and now you're going to pay for it. Look what happens. Verse 13. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief men, Navy SEALs, top guys, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of the family division among the Israelite clans. Now something's about to happen, right? Verse 15. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor, Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on that community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? He didn't even give a chance for the two and a half tribe of Manasseh to say anything. He's like, how could you do this? Remember people, remember what I did? I killed the Moabite woman and I killed the Israelite men. I'm about to do that to you right now. If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. Verse 19, if the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan son of Zerah was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. Now, again, up to this point, intense. It's getting tense, right? How could these two and a half tribes do something? They were just fighting with us, but now they're straight up rebelling. Does that sound familiar, guys? You know, I've been in church for quite a long time, and uh, one of the things that breaks the unity of any church is gossip. Any church, every church I've been in, I've been part of a lot of Korean churches, and we love drama, right? We love drama. Koreans love drama. 
any opportunity, they, they could just twist the words. I can say this because I'm Korean, okay? Uh, one of my best friends over here, David, he knows. There's so much drama. And you know what? I'll be, I'm comfortable enough to, to, to say this with the Vietnamese community. You guys like drama too, okay? <laughs> you guys are pretty dang dynamic at uh, creating drama. I've been to some of your retreats. I've seen some of your guys' skits, and I'm like, yo, this is production A-level. This is so good. And we get really creative with our drama, right? And it's because we take something... And then we twist it, and we become agents not of healing anymore. We now become agents of carrying fake news. Right? Did you hear what she said? Oh, my gosh. It's like, dude, no one ever asked you. Right? Now, church, be very careful because I know that there are people, and honestly, it's not their fault. Maybe that was what was modeled for them. Maybe that's just kind of their personality. If somebody tries to share with you a gossip that is going to hurt the reputation of another brother or sister in your community, the first thing I want you to go ahead and say is, hey, why are you sharing this with me? What's your intent? Why are you sharing this with me? And hopefully that can kind of redirect the conversation into getting to the truth. Oftentimes, we jump into conclusions, and as we jump into conclusions, you've already played out everything in your head, and now you're living out a lie. You're living out something that it was just in your head, something that was maybe planted by another brother or sister that they didn't mean to necessarily plant it in your heart, but Satan somehow, you know, he's the father of lies. He's really good at this. He takes the lie, he makes you believe it, and then you're actually implementing that Satan's plan in your life and you're living out a lie and so now you have to be very very careful because Phineas is about to kill and he took his navy seals and he's about to now destroy the two and a half tribes of Manasseh but thank God thank God to have two and a half tribes they speak up verse 21 then Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel. The mighty one God, the Lord, the mighty one God, the Lord. We didn't misread that. They said that three times. Elohim, they were invoking the name of our holy God. He knows and let Israel know if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to, the, and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. Check this out, verse 24. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. The Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifice. 
On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at this sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. So now they clearly explain the intent, which was, yo, Phinehas, before you try to kill us, we did not do this to worship to false gods. We did it because we were afraid that many years later, generations later, your children would accuse our children because, remember the deal that they made with Moses, they were to be in Gilead, not in the promised land. So years later, descendants, years later, they could potentially blame the two and a half tribe of Manasseh and say, you're not part of us. You're not part of us. And so that is why we wanted to build this altar as a witness. Not in fear of man, but in fear of God. In fear of who this God is, who we just fought for. And so now we want to build this altar as a remembrance that we fear God. We don't fear man, but please give us this chance. And this is so important, right? Again, good intention, building the altar that, again, they shouldn't have done because God told them not to, except the one in the tabernacle. But they did it anyways, good intention, and it was going to lead to an altercation, eventually their own death. But thank God for the clear communication. Sorry, I don't mean to like bash on Asians or Koreans or Vietnamese, but man, this is another area we're really, really bad in, especially Asian men. We're not good at clearly communicating our feelings and our emotions. And you know what? You can talk to a therapist or whatever it is to kind of like un just undo all of that. I'll tell you a funny story. I know who these unhealthy guys are when they're not expressing the right behavior at the right time. Like when something is sad, you should cry, right? Or not like cry, but like you should feel sad. There should be empathy. But if you start laughing when something is sad, that's not the right behavior, right? It's, something's wrong. I know because that's me, okay? I know because when my congregation starts to like cry, I know my issues. I've got some daddy issues and all these different issues that I've worked on and I'm still working on. And so my unhealthy way to express empathy or what I think is empathy or lack thereof is I start laughing. When someone starts to cry, I go, because oh. it's like a defense mechanism. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh. in fact, at our retreat, we had a guest speaker, a fabulous guest speaker by the name of Jeff Hyun. Amazing testimony. He lost his, his mom, like um, left him when he was five in Korea. He goes through years of years of trying to look for his mom, finds him through Facebook, finds her through Facebook, goes to Korea, and then he's sharing about this moment where like he, he gets to hug her for the first time. And you could imagine, you just all sorts of ugly crying, during the retreat, me and this other guy at my church, who I know is also unhealthy, okay, we're like, 
<laughs> Suppress it, right? Hold it down. Don't cry. Why do we do that, guys? There's so many reasons why I think, and I'm not going to go to it, but I think one main reason is I think we're afraid to be vulnerable. We are afraid to really cry and to be able to share to the person that you're crying to that I'm hurting, that I actually have issues. Asian men, we're really bad at this. And, and I think we have to really, again, process why that is and really be able to articulate in a healthy manner your feelings, your emotions. Because if you have children later on and you don't really kind of assess and really kind of deal with that, what you're doing is you're passing on that same thing to your children. You're passing on that same kind of toxic like, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be weak, right? And, and so I, I share this very briefly. It's kind of like a side thing, but I, I think we can do better. And it's not a self-help. This is not about, okay, go see a therapist and be better. No, it's because oftentimes our identity is not based on the gospel. Oftentimes our identity is not based on the cross, it's not based on what Christ says we are, because if we, if we really base our identity on that, we would be able to really share our feelings, emotions in a healthy manner. I'll just go one more thing. I, I think oftentimes our identity for older gentlemen or older men is based on our work, right? Tim Keller, he passed away, but famous pastor. I love his sermons, his books. He said, when your identity is based on your work, when success happens, it goes to your head, but when failure happens, it goes to your heart. When identity is based on work, and that is all you care about, you do well, it goes to your head, you get a big head, oh, I'm so good, but when failure happens, and it will, it goes to your heart, I am nothing, I'm nothing, I'm not worth anything, it's not healthy. And so Phinehas here, though, after he hears this, and then he, the, the, the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh explain why they built this altar, I love what this, hap what, what, what this says. It says in verse um, 28, And we said, if they are ever satiates to us or the sinner, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Verse 29, Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord that God has stands before his tabernacle. Verse 30. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, and I'll end after this, the heads of the clans of the Israelites heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Verse 32, check, uh, check this out. Then Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priests and the leaders, returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites and Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report and they praised God. 
They talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gedites lived. Do you get what I'm getting at here? They said, we thought you did this because you were rebelling. They heard the miscommunication clearly communicated. They go back and report to the other tribes. They praise God and they say, we will hold this against you no more. And they moved on. Why is this important? Because again, as human beings, not just, it's not even about being Asian anymore. As human beings, we have this tendency to hold certain things over other people's heads. But here, when this miscommunication with the good intent is clearly communicated, it doesn't lead to an altercation. Report is back. They moved on. They didn't hold that against the two and a half tribes of Manasseh anymore. Husbands and wives, I'm talking to you first and foremost. When you say you forgive, do you forgive in a manner that the gospel forgives you? Because guess what? Jesus doesn't go, I forgive you today, but tomorrow morning when you wake up, let's count your sins all over again. Jesus says, I forgive you once and for all. He doesn't hold that against your head when you messed up. He doesn't go, oh, but remember what you did, David? Remember when you did this and you said that and you treated your children like this? And he doesn't hold it against your head. But as spouses, as human beings, as co-workers, we love doing this. You do something wrong against me, I forgive you. But the moment you mess up, man, I'm going to bring it back. Remember that time? Remember that moment you messed up? We bring it Back. But that is not gospel forgiveness. Miscommunication happened. There was clear communication, but they moved on. They were growing together. And this is not just for spouses. I believe it's for every human being in this room that has dealt with some misunderstanding, with any pain or, heart or hurt. When you say you forgive... May the blood of Christ truly be applied in that forgiveness. Now, I know it's easier said than done. And that is why this exhortation that Joshua gives to the half-tribe and the two tribes and half-tribe is so pivotal. Remember to keep the law. Remember to obey it. To live it out. Don't hold it against your community, your coworkers, your spouse. If you forgive, you forgive. And now, don't mention no more. You move on. You grow together. Lastly, Shiloh. This all happened in a place called Shiloh, which happens, it's mentioned 32 times in the Old Testament and in all places in the Old Testament that Shiloh is mentioned, it's a physical place except one. And in that one place, it comes in Deuteronomy that I want to read for you. Shiloh in Deuteronomy. This is what it says. Genesis, I'm sorry. Genesis 49.10. says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. 
and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In Genesis, we already see that Shiloh was mentioned to address the Messiah, the one that was to come and bring ultimate peace for all. That's Jesus Christ. And I don't think it was by accident that this misunderstanding and clear uh, clearing of the misunderstanding happened in Shiloh because it was a reflection. It was a pointing to the true Shiloh, Jesus Christ, who was to come. And we're promising the New Testament that whosoever believes in him shall not only have eternal life, but have peace, peace that this world will not understand. And so church fam, I just want to encourage you this afternoon and hopefully convict some of us that through our life journey of obedience, that our obedience can truly turn away from compliance. It will really turn into obedience because we love this God, amazing and powerful, abundant in love. And it's a relationship that we're pursuing, not just a checklist of things he wants me to do. But as we do that, that you regain the all that maybe some of us have lost. And as we regain that all of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Shiloh that is here with us, may you remember that you have the opportunity right now to be able to say, man, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And God, as I move forward, not only in forgiveness, but not only in being generous, God, change my perspective. Help me to better articulate this relationship that I have with you. And so with that said, can you pray with me? I just want to invite you to pray one prayer with me as I end. And it's this. If you are a believer and you believe in Jesus Christ and you're seating, sitting here in these pews and you say, David, yeah, I am a believer of Jesus Christ. Just know that no sin holds you down. No sin separates you no sin can be over your head and so let's start there say God I acknowledge and I believe that Jesus Christ when he died for me I am free I am free indeed and so can you pray with me just all together we don't need music and just pray wherever you're seated God thank you for sending Jesus Christ and God thank you that I have this news that I can walk out in confidence that you have forgiven me, but Lord, help me to live out this gospel truth. And so just pray with me together, and I'll close in prayer for us. Let's pray.